Basically, it's a repeat of what Daniel said. Paul quite often does this. He says something, he has a bit of a sidetrack, he comes back, he says it again. Especially if he really wants to make the point. And the issue there was about sexual immorality and about why it's not a good idea to go to the prostitutes. Um, Does anyone here really want to hear me preach that sermon? Okay. Um, Summarize it. Paul says... Don't join yourself to a prostitute because you're joined to Christ. Okay, take it home, read it for yourself. If you need to hear it, I'll give you all the notes because I actually started working out a sermon on that and then I thought, actually, I don't think they need to hear this again. So instead, we're going to be jumping forward just a little bit um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And really, we're going to start at verses 7 forwards, but let's just have a look there. And we'll read the beginning bit. Um, The Corinthian church had a big problem with their sexual ethics. Paul says, now you guys wrote me some questions in your letter. Yes, it is good to abstain from having sex. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And they should fulfill each other's needs. And the wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband vice versa. Uh, Do not deprive yourselves of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. And afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command, but I wish everyone was single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. I think that's fairly clear and obvious. Uh, Listen to that. Apply it in your lives if you're married. But let's move forward because what we're going to look at is, is really three groups of people. We're going to be looking at, at those who were married and are now single. And we've got a few people like that in the church. We're going to be looking at those who are married. And we've got a few of those in the church as well. And we're going to be looking at those who are married to a non-Christian. And we've got a few of those in the church as well. So let's keep reading. Paul says, and I love Paul, he says, I wish you were all single. Just as I am. You know why I love this? At Bible study we were looking, I think at this passage, and we were saying, yeah, in some churches, and I've experienced it myself, in some church communities, if you are not married, you are less than human. No, it's true. In some church communities, um, I've even been in we- at weddings where they say, at last, you two are now fully human. And I look at them and say, well, Paul says he wishes we were all single. I've never yet heard a wedding service where the preacher got up and said, but I wish everyone was single as I am. <laughs> Paul's quite clear, he likes being single because he he is able to just do what he wants with the gospel. Um, But he's also realistic. He says, yeah, not everyone has this gift of singleness. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, um, the word there for aren't married is, is the common Greek word for speaking to widowers. So he's speaking to people who were once married. In fact, there are some people who say, well, maybe Paul is actually, 
when he says, I wish you were single like I am, I'm speaking to those who were married. It's possible that Paul himself was at one stage married. Um, it would have been a bit abnormal for him uh, if he studied under Gamaliel and, and wanted to become a rabbi, he would have had to be married. I don't know. All I know is that this stage is not, and he's reveling in it. I say to those who aren't married, or to those who were married, um, politics, they didn't use the word widower. Uh, they used the word aren't married. So I say to those who aren't married, all the widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Like I am. Like my situation, maybe. But if you can't control yourselves, they should go ahead and marry because it's better to marry than to burn with lust. And for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. <coughs> a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must not leave his wife. And now I will speak to the rest of you, though I don't have a direct command from the Lord. If, if a Christian man has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he mustn't leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Uh, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. Uh, in such a case, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Now, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you, and remain as you were when God first called you. And this is my rule for all the churches. All areas of our lives under authority to Christ, and, and Paul here says that includes our relationships. Um, he's just said our illegitimate relationships must be brought under submission to Christ, and our real uh, our our legitimate relationships must be brought under Christ. And there are some who in the name of Christianity neglect their relationships. It's possible to get so busy for God that your spouse gets very unhappy at you. That's not putting it under the authority of Christ. Paul here is about nourishing and growing relationships. About nourishing and growing these reflections of what it means to be Christian. These reflections of what it means to be the image of Jesus. And, and, and what he's done here for us, he shows that we can be a reflection of Jesus, an image of Jesus, whether we are widowers or widows, whether we are married to Christian, and, and really, if you're married to a Christian, that is just an incredible reflection of Christ and His church. And also, whether you are married to a non-Christian, you can be a reflection. And later on in the chapter, towards the end, Paul says, actually, if you're single, you're a reflection of Jesus, bringing everything under submission to Him. So Paul says in verse 7, he says, I wish... You are all like me. And he's giving, he's giving guidelines. He's not saying you may not marry. 
Because quite frankly, if Paul's saying you may not marry, then all of us here are in, in, in well, not all of us, but quite a few of us here are in, in a bit of a quandary. As quick, he says, no, God gifts some gifts to some and some gifts to others. And, and in fact, when Paul speaks about the gifts, one of the things he says is you should desire gifts. It's not bad to desire different gifts. And God gives different gifts for a season. So for, for this season, God has given you the ability to, to really be uh, hospitable with your house, perhaps. And for this season, season over here, God has given you the gift of encouragement because somehow, just for, for a reason, you are, you're noticing where everybody needs to be encouraged. And I think when it comes to our relationships, we need to, we need to think of this welcome to the broken car down people. Um, John and Helen phoned me this morning and said, our car's broken! But they've made it. Walked all the way from Andrew, I'm sure. Um, we don't often think of our relationships perhaps in the same way as the other gifts that God gives us. And yet they are a gift from God. And, and like all the other gifts, some of them last for ages. Some of them last for a period. Everyone here was gifted with singleness for a period. At least before you got married. If you're still single, you're still gifted with it. And you, have you ever, you ever been opening your presents on Christmas Day and your grandmother gives you another pair of socks? <laughs> or another toothbrush? Some gifts you don't want. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want your gift, but it's still the gift that you've been given. Sometimes uh, the gift of marriage is only for a season because we are, we are humans and we fall and we die and we pass on. And Paul doesn't go to all the extremes, but sometimes there is issues in the marriage and there's adultery and one of the partners walks away. In fact, Paul says... In, in the bit where he, he's addressing non-Christian Christian households, he says sometimes a non-Christian partner will just walk away and that gift of marriage goes. Maybe sometimes marriage is a gift you don't want either. On that day when, when your husband has been particularly obstreperous. And there are some gifts that maybe you long for and you don't receive. Maybe you've longed to get married and you never have got married. And God in His goodness knows why He gives you the gifts He does, but, but it's not wrong to desire gifts from God. And yet the gifts are, are different to other gifts because they come with some absolute obligations. If the gift of singleness has been given you, then you are obliged to live a celibate life. And Paul's just spent two chapters talking about that. If the gift of marriage has been given to you, then you are obliged to live a faithful life. And Paul says in verses 8 and 9, he says, look, I want you guys to be comfortable. If, if you are 
recently divorced or not divorced, recently separated because of death or whatever, um, if you can't control yourself, get married. In fact, the, the English language here is, is, quite, is quite nice because Paul has just been speaking about how you shouldn't go to the prostitutes. Um, and the Greek language actually says, if you're not behaving yourself, get married. It's not if you can't behave yourself, as in I'm struggling but I'm still managing. He's saying, if you, if you failed, get married. Anybody here who's struggling and you're single, get married. Um, uh, single people meet up over here, men over here, ladies over here, we'll tie you up after the service. <laughs> now let's move on to those who are married, verses 10 and 11. Those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. We live in an age where marriage is so easily broken. And the the sad thing is that whether it's inside the church or outside the church, the statistics are pretty much the same. And that, that alone breaks my heart because what Paul says is that if both of you are claiming to be a Christian, then separating or divorcing is not an option. Paul says if your marriage is going tough, if your marriage is going through difficult times, if your marriage is, you'll wake up and you look at the person across from you and you go, ah! You've got to tough it out. You've got to stick together. You've got to ask God for help. And, and Paul's quite clear. He says, I'm not, I'm not just giving you what the Spirit has inspired me to say. Jesus himself said exactly this. And what did Jesus say? Mark 10, he says, if you divorce your wife, men, and you marry somebody else, you're committing adultery against that person. And if your wife divorces you, if a, if a wife divorces her husband and she marries another man, she commits adultery. I mean, Jesus says the commitment to marriage is one that is to life. It's one that God himself stands under and holds and undergirds. Uh, The commitment to marriage is one that cannot be destroyed by us because it is joined by God. In fact, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And Paul says, if you are both people who say we stand under the authority of God, then under the authority of God, your marriage deserves to be worked on. Not just deserves to be worked on, but deciding to separate is really something that, that should be the last, 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 last resort. And yes, Paul doesn't go into all the extremes. Paul's dealing with one particular issue. In the Corinthian church, the thing was, if you didn't like your wife, you just divorced her. And if there was, oh, we had a fight three mornings in a row, go away. It, this, was, this was the attitude in the church. Easy divorce, easy come, easy go. Paul says, no, it's got to be easy come, difficult go. And, and yes, Jesus gives exceptions and says, if there's adultery, then, then, then divorce is permissible. But it's not, it's not yay, it's ah. Oh. 
because of the rottenness of humanity, God has conceded that. I, I think it's one of the great witnesses to the world that Christian couples have is to let the world see how normal your relationship is and how you stick through it. You sometimes hear on the radio or the TV, they say, oh, and we're celebrating with, with Jack and Jill today, and that's their 75th wedding anniversary. Isn't that fantastic? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they automatically said, I think they must be a Christian couple. We want to be known as people who stick to it. Because, because that's how God sticks with us. That's how God sticks with us. Paul says, don't even give yourself the luxury of thinking it a possibility. If you get married and you think you've made a mistake having got married, then ask God to make it work. And I believe he would. And Paul addresses the wives first. and says, wives, don't separate from your husbands. Um, quite common in Greek circles. Um, well, not common, but, but it happened a lot. Paul says, don't do it, 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 verse 11, but if you've done it. But if you've done it. Paul says, something of the gospel, I believe, is shown when Christian couples stay together despite troubles and despite hardships. Paul says, if, if it's just too much and you do separate, then, then you're going to separate and you're going to stay single or else you're going to be reconciled. I think Paul here is basically saying again, are you taking seriously the nature of what happened between you and God? Oh, this sounds so harsh, doesn't it? And again, Paul is painting in big brush strokes here, and, and there are exceptions to this rule. And, but you know... There's two mistakes we can make here. We can either read verses 10 and 11 and go, right, let's find a loophole. Or else we can read it and go, ah, oh, divorce is the worst sin in the church. Paul doesn't go to either of those, those extremes. He... He recognizes the fallenness of people. He recognizes that separation might happen. And all he says is, remember 
who you are in Christ. And, and this, is, this is just horrible, but, but even in separating, how does your relationship point to the gospel? Now the whole question of whether divorce and remarriage is acceptable or not is a huge question. Um, and we've got, we got to admit that Paul here is dealing with one specific church and one specific incidence. Um, if you get divorced, you can be forgiven. If you separate, you can be forgiven. If you get remarried, you can be forgiven. But if somebody came to me and said, I have got divorced and now I want to get remarried, my first question was, are you sorry about the divorce? Even if, even if the other person deserved it and the other person committed adultery and destroyed it or walked away, even then I'd say, are you sorry at the loss of what God has put together? I read an article today at a university in America that's just Christian university that's just fired their president because he went to some functions introducing his fiance which is nice except he's still married <laughs> kind of gives you the idea he needs to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 and 11 What about, that, that's a hard teaching for you, by the way. If you're married, stick it out. Until they die, don't kill them. <laughs> now, to those who are married to non-Christians, and we've got a few of those in the church as well. And, and actually, I imagine that this is the majority of people in the Corinthian church, because Paul he gets to this point and says, now to the rest of you. If you think about it, it makes sense because this is a brand new church <coughs> and the gospel's going out and some people are hearing it and being saved and others aren't. It's not a, a case that as soon as one person in the family becomes a Christian, everybody automatically becomes a Christian. It, it would have been very common to have Christian, non-Christian marriages. Um, and, and it would cause such a huge amount of tension in the household. I mean, all of a sudden... Someone who was uh, the woman that you married has now got different priorities, has a, a new way of life, has got new standards, is not doing the same sort of things, is, is, is speaking about this man, Jesus, all the time. He's got new priorities, it's a new creation. And, and yeah, they make mistakes and they still yell and scream every now and again, I'm sure, but, but something about them is different. And statistically, um, these days, it is normally the husband who is the non-Christian partner. And I read, I read a, um, somebody asked a non-Christian husband what he, what he didn't like about his Christian wife. And he said something along the lines of that she is no longer the person that he married because there's now another man around the house whom she is deferring to. 
and to whom every decision goes and whom she consults for advice and instructions. And you think, this, this is right. Every Christian should be consulting Jesus and putting Him first. And he said, my, one of my big problems is that suddenly I'm not the boss, Jesus is. And Paul says, well, if your unbelieving spouse is happy to stay with you, fantastic. And just by the way, have you ever thought why Paul has to say, if the unbelieving partner is happy to stay, brilliant? Probably because the Corinthians were going, oh, I'm a Christian, it's really difficult. Maybe I'll just divorce them, and there's this really nice Christian over here. And we'll both divorce our non-Christian partners and get married. Paul has to make it explicit. He says, no, if you're married, you're married. And if your partner's happy for you to stay married to them, brilliant. Stay married to them. And there's, there's some really, really good reasons. There's some fantastic spin-offs, uh, uh, blessings for your partner and for your children. Um, uh, your family, if you are a Christian and everybody else is not, is still blessed, blessed by God. Verse 14, Paul says, The Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Holiness is stronger than unholiness. Godliness is stronger than ungodliness. Paul says it's not that the, the unchristianness of your partner defiles you, but in a sense, something of your holiness, something of your purity, something of your following God, your character, steps into that household and brings holiness into that household. doesn't save anyone, but, but there's something of the presence of God there, in that place. Paul says, think about your children. Um, because of the holiness you've brought in, your children are holy. Otherwise, they would not be holy. Um, Morris a theologian says that until a child comes of age to decide for themselves and to take upon themselves the responsibility, the child of a believing parent is to be regarded as a Christian. The parent's holiness extends to that child. And just think about it. That's worthy of debate, that statement. But, but think about it. If you are a Christian, you are bringing into your household the chance for your kids to become Christians. You are showing them something of who Jesus is. You are showing them something of His character. You are giving them an environment in which they can choose for Him. And in fact, says Paul, one of the great reasons to stay married is that who knows, God might, through you, save your partner. And wouldn't that be brilliant? There's no guarantees, of course. But, but it's worth pressing on in hope that God might save your wife or your husband. And it's going to be difficult. Because marriage is something that you bring shared commitments to and, and shared 
ideals. And the Christian has a new set of commitments and a new set of ideals. Paul says in verse 15, If the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. You notice what Paul says there? He says, yes, sometimes these marriages fall apart because it's difficult. But it's not an option for the Christian to walk away. Again, why? Because that's what God does with us. God doesn't look at, oh, you know, Nicholas is just too difficult. Every day, every week, he makes the same mistakes. He does the same things. I'm giving up. That's not what God does. God says, no, I'm sticking through it. Paul says, yeah, you're not compelled to try and stop the separation because we're called to live in peace. I guess the problem and the the challenge for people who are in this situation where you are in a relationship with a non-Christian is A, you have to submit to them. Peter says that in I think 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, You've got to submit to your husband so that you might be able to win them over. And sometimes that will mean missing out on, on church events or church things or whatever. But I look at Paul and I see that he doesn't shy away and he doesn't say, be less of a Christian. Paul says that tension's real. If you're for Christ, you are for Christ. And if that causes issues in your marriage, do your very best to live at peace. Don't try and cause issues in your marriage, but, but if it's a choice of standing up for Christ or not standing up for Christ, stand up for Christ. If you are divorced, Paul doesn't even mention whether you're allowed to remarry. <laughs> Three groups of people. Those who were once married and are now single. Those who are married, happily married or unhappily married to a Christian. Paul says to the first bunch, fantastic, you guys are brilliant. You can do what you want for the gospel. And if you If you're having real trouble, just get married. He says to those who are married to another Christian, he says, fantastic, go for it, work at it. It's going to be hard probably, but but put in the hard yards. And if you muck up, let even your mucking up reflect something of the gospel. And he says to those of you who are married to a non-Christian, let your marriage to a non-Christian bless them and bless your household and bless your family. You see, Paul says, every single part of our lives have to come under submission to Christ. And every single part of our lives and all of our relationships are to reflect 
something of who we are in Jesus. Hands up if you're single. Reflect Jesus. Hands up if you're married to a Christian. Boy, I'm looking at some of the husbands here. Reflect Jesus. And some of the wives, reflect Jesus. In fact, all of you, reflect Jesus. Hands up here who is married to a non-Christian. Reflect Jesus. And put him first.